Hello and welcome to another edition of Parkour Ed. My name is Colin Daly. I'll be your host today. Parkour Ed is a podcast whose goal is to talk with teachers and find out what their parkour was to bring them here. We all teach at the LFS and sometimes really the only thing we have in common is our employer. So we're going to share some stories, get to know each other, and find out that in spite of our differences, we probably have more in common than we think. We're going to join these interviews already in progress. This was recorded on the last Friday before Christmas holiday break, 2017. Thanks for joining us. Bonjour, Klaus. <laughs> Bonjour, Monsieur Nobeck. Bonjour, Monsieur Nobeck. Je m'appelle Monsieur Nobeck. Et vous? Comment vous appelez-vous? Répondez. Je m'appelle. Je m'appelle Robert. 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 Je m'appelle And we are back. We are back. Thank you for being with us here on Parkour Ed, the podcast that talks to teachers at LFS and finds out what their parkour was to bring them to us. Um, we are back in the studio with... Robert Castells. Yeah. Robert Castells. No. Répétez, je m'appelle Robert. <laughs> Robert, yes. Okay. In Singapore, they always massacre my family name. <laughs> they cannot say Castells. Why, I don't know. I don't know either. And so Robert was with us earlier this morning, and he's back after teaching a class. He's, you survived, I see. Yes. You survived, good kids. And we're joined now in the studio with Nicole Komar. Hello, Nicole. How are Hi. you this morning? Great. Uh, Nicole was born in South Africa. She is French, but she's married to an Argentinian, and she's lived in Singapore actually longer than any other country. She is a lover of change, positive thoughts, and small things, and she's been a finance manager, she's been a writer, an actress, and now she's a teacher. She has taught maths and Spanish, now she's teaching history and English, and apparently she is deeply mistrustful of anything that starts with the capital letter. So we're going we're gonna to keep it on a lowercase basis today. Please N- do. Nicole, thanks for being with us, taking time out of your busy schedule. All of us are busy, but you guys have shown up on a Friday morning, and everybody appreciates it. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I want to hear more. I want to hear more from Robert about why this, uh, this Flemish-Belgian is in Singapore as a musician and a teacher, and why you, Nicole, uh, a French woman, has lived here longer than any other country in the world. So let's get started. Who wants to begin? All right. Um, ladies first, I guess. Okay. Uh, I was in Singapore when I was a little girl. Um, I arrived in Singapore in 1980 and left in 1985, and I actually went to the French School of Singapore. So now, where was it located when you went there? Because it wasn't here at that time. No, I, it moved from the Alliance Française all the way to Yotukang. Okay. And so I did that transition. I don't remember much. Um, this was CP, CE1. I remember I had a wonderful CP teacher and a horrendous CE1 teacher. 
teacher. Oh, really? That exists? A horrendous teacher? <laughs> yes. It, this, was, this was back at the time where they were still allowed to hit us, and he would hit us on the head with his wait, grammar book, wait, whatever we made. We're not allowed to hit them anymore? Oh, yeah. No, you didn't this get the memo. No. <laughs> Darn. Okay. Oh, dear. Wow. This is, we're, we're uncovering some interesting stuff here. You know, this year is the 50th anniversary of, uh, anniversary of LFS. And so we have someone who is, you know, a, a testament to... Um, yeah, well, I wasn't here 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's obvious. That's obvious. This is radio, but if you had a visual, you would know she wasn't here 50 years ago. Um, so, so what brought you back? I kept a really fond memory of Singapore. And um, so this is back in 2000. I was in Argentina just before the big crisis. And I had just met my now husband, Danny. And uh, we were trying to get out of the country. We felt something was going to happen. And um, I was interviewing for BCG, uh, Boston Consulting Group at the time in New York, and this was my dream job. Um, and he was also interviewing in New York, and we had all these great plans. It all fell through. Okay. Um, and uh, within days, he got an offer to go work in Vietnam. Wow. And he phoned me up at work and said, um, would you like to go with me? And uh, I had all these memories of Asia coming back, and I said, yes, I'd love to. And so we went to Vietnam and from there to Malaysia and then back to Singapore. All right. Well, when, when did you start teaching? I started teaching in Malaysia. Um, I was an actress at the time, and I had very small kids, and it was wonderful. I could bring them in for sound check, and they would be with me, and I'd be with them all day, and then I'd work at night, and then I'd come back and have all day with them. But from the moment they started going to school, I wasn't with them anymore at all, and so it didn't work out. And I thought, where can I use my acting skills and my writing skills and my math skills? Because I used to be in finance, and of course it was teaching. Teaching. All right. You know, we've talked to some uh, people today. Everyone has come from some really interesting backgrounds, you know, finance, acting, music, um, uh, shipping. Stephanie Galino was from shipping. Uh, Olivier Massy did a bit of journalism. And uh, that's what I love about this job is you, you meet such wonderful, interesting people. Robert, tell us a little about, bit about your parkour. What, uh, what, what buildings have you jumped off to get here? Okay, I was working in the Royal Conservatory in Brussels, and I was headhunted to to head the Faculty of Performing Arts at La Salle College in Singapore. So I accepted for six months because I had no idea even where Singapore is on the map. Right. <laughs> so, so I did. I liked it because it was uh, like a colony of artists who also teach. We were encouraged to to have a professional practice. Right. So, so I did that eight years. Then the management and the whole culture uh, changed. So I thought, okay, it's time to go. So then I became the music director of the youth orchestra in Singapore. Yeah. So worked at uh, headquarters of uh, MOE. Then uh, started to work at NUS, part time, full time, part time. Then did a number of things in five different international schools wow. so I've quite you've gotten <laughs> around quite yes and then including the the lycée francais where i first started as external examiner for uh, 
the back uh, Opsio music, and then did some replacement here of teachers who were sick or maternity leave. Sure, sure. And then I accepted uh, part-time, and I'm here on a part-time basis. Yeah, we're glad you're here, too. It's, it makes it for a much more interesting environment. We've got people from all over the world at our school. Um, and uh, so getting back to the notion of, of being here, Nicole, you've been here longer than in Singapore, longer than any other country. And, and Robert, now you've been here for many years as well. Um, this is my 12th school year here. Uh, what happens next? Do, is there such a thing as going back? Where is back? Um, your thoughts. Well, first of all, I think this is an amazing gig for us as teachers. Yeah. Um, it will be hard to find a better gig as a teacher, that's for sure. But I think, as I said in my bio, I love change, so there will come a time where I feel like, yes, it's wonderful, um, and it doesn't mean that it's less wonderful that I want to change. It's just I think change keeps us alive, um, and that'll be our next step. So we're already preparing a few things, and we have dreams, and I think, yeah, dreams keep us alive. They do. I know on my own side... Um, Singapore has always been neutral ground. It's been wonderful. I'm married to a lovely French person, and uh, I'm American. And here in Singapore, we can both find our home cultures. We can find a Singapore culture, and we can create our own family culture, too, which, which makes it easier. N neither one of us has to suffer being the only foreigner in the family type of experience. But uh, at the same time, we can't stay here forever unless we opt for citizenship. Robert, did you take that, uh, take that plunge? Uh, yes. You are now a citizen of Singapore. I was offered that in 2007, and in Singapore you must know when they what an offer means. When they offer, you must uh, accept. Is that how it goes? Well, or or think of moving. I see. Of moving out. So Don't worry, we can change your name for when this podcast <laughs> no, is no, broadcast. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, uh, Job-wise, professionally, I think I'll stay here because I have such responsibilities also outside of the school right so um i'm not at the age anymore or i would really you know jump ship and start all over again somewhere else i see but i travel enough to still do things outside of singapore and then for for family and pleasure yeah i'm off to europe as soon as possible which is Monday night. Ah, yeah. okay. Well, that is the it is that time of year where people are heading home. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you: you when you become a Singapore citizen, yeah. it's my understanding that you need to relinquish your your That's home correct. nationality. Yes. How how did that feel? Because my experience, I I am also a dual national. I'm a French citizen as well, but I did not have to give up my American citizenship. And as as much as Trump makes it appealing for me to give up my American citizenship, I I couldn't. I wouldn't bring myself to do that because I didn't have to. But in your case, how did that feel? Well, I I, I asked my parents. Oh, I see. Yeah, B because because it is a big thing. So at dinner when it was quiet, and then my father said, "Well, if you want to do this, go ahead." So the next dinner, I asked again, but I thought maybe he didn't understand. I wasn't clear. Yeah. Then he said, uh, "I thought I said yesterday that if you want to do it, I said okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so okay, no objection on that side. So then uh, yes, then no problem. Uh, the Belgian law had just changed, and and uh, Belgium starts to accept dual citizenship, but Singapore doesn't. 
Right. And in Singapore, there is a big, very big debate. You don't read about in the press, but in the, the, the people who have to decide. Yeah. Uh, because there are arguments, pros and cons, that those who are again think that it will encourage further immigration of the best brains. And those who are uh, uh, for it say, on the contrary, it will anchor uh, right, the best brains. The best so brains. they haven't found a solution yet. So I see. then status quo, which is uh, uh, you have to choose. You cannot sit on the fence and have a dual nationality. So the quote unquote offer of citizenship came after uh, two stints as a PR or just did were you on an employment pass oh no i was a pr, a PR. Uh, uh, so we early. employment uh, we employment pass holders aren't, aren't at risk of being um requested as uh no in, in singapore citizens. they are very pragmatic very driven they see who they need what kind of people uh, and then there is a certain window of time and if they decide they ne they need a person like you, they'll approach you and they'll get you. Okay, okay. And Nicole, you, you come from a very interesting background as well. Having spent so much time outside of France, but having the French nationality, talking to you, uh, if I just met you on the street, I would never guess that you were French because you're, you know, your English is, 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 has no hint of French in it. Um, nor does your French have any hint of English in it when you're speaking. So uh, what about you? What about your, your status, your nationality, and, and your children? Because you, your husband is uh, Argentinian, and your children, I assume your children were born in KL? or Yeah, they were born in KL, all three of them. And, but they don't get Malaysian nationality for that. No. So they are French-Argentinian. I see. I am French, and my husband is French-Argentinian, too. I see. So he got the French nationality. And it's interesting, because I didn't spend that many years living in France, but it is my base. I do go back there every year, and there's so much I appreciate about it. And, you know, I love teaching in a French school. Um, I would find it so hard to relinquish my French nationality, and it's really because of the values that come with it, the, the values of freedom that come with it. Yeah. Um, I really respect them, and they are what allows me to be me. If France were to say, if you're French, you have to live in France, then it would be something different. Right. But they're not that type of country. If they were to become that type of country, then I'd give up my French passport in a heartbeat. But I love what they stand for right now, and I would not give it up for any kind of financial advantage in Singapore. And how about your schooling, your experiences as a student, did you always go to French schools? Have you always been a student at French schools? or did you? Yes, I've always been in French schools so until Terminal, but it was an international school. Okay, so you did the OIB. I did the OIB yes. all the way You back must have been one of the first, uh, first uh, yep. groups yeah. to go through, right? We were, I think, only 60, 70 candidates at the time. And a World, lot of... Uh, worldwide? Worldwide, because there was no <laughs> worldwide. There was, it was only the French schools who did it. That's amazing. And uh, many of the examiners that I saw back then are now my colleagues or, or retiring. Um, so it, it's an interesting, it's a really, it's a really fun community. I see. Um, it, it actually helped me a lot. And it kept me grounded too because I wasn't very good in French grammar. And were I to believe my French teachers, um, they, they would always tell me to give up on literature, give up on, because I, I couldn't study in their structured way, whereas in the British way I was 
really encouraged to be creative and, and try different ways to work around my difficulties I in see. terms of spelling and, and, and grammar. And um, so it kind of saved my literary fiber. I see. Okay. Uh, do, you think that's, uh, do you think that's something that still exists to this day, uh, uh, a, a different expectation based on the culture of the, the instruction? Do you, think, do you think an English education asks for something radically different than a French education when it comes to literature, for example? or uh... I don't know. I haven't talked enough to my French colleagues to understand how much it's changed. Um, so I don't really know. But I do know that their attitude towards the students has changed a lot. They're much more, um, <clears throat> what is it, bienveillance. They have much more bienveillance, and yeah. they're much more willing to... Um, you know, work with different students, let's say. Yeah. For, I, from our colleagues here, anyway. Yeah. Because um, that's been my experience here is that our French colleagues are very yeah. mindful of yeah. the needs of the students. And but there is definitely a rigor that is, that is necessary for French um, that is less evident, at the, I think, in, in the British system. Yeah. Well, having worked at the primary level at the school, I know that handwriting is one of those things that's quite obvious to, you know, judge differences between different systems. When you see people coming from uh, an American school, um, their handwriting at age eight is far different mm. than your average French student. But all of this is evolving. And I'm interested, uh, Robert, you, um, obviously your French is, is, is wonderful. You come from a bilingual country. French is, though, your second language. But how about your schooling? Did you do your schooling in French or in Flemish or in both or in English? No, no. How, how, how did you become you? Um. Okay, that's then again a typical Belgian situation. My family is Flemish, but from a certain social strata where uh, even though we're Flemish, we have our education <coughs> in French. I see. So apart from kindergarten, which was in Flemish, I did my whole primary and secondary uh, education in French. Then the conservatory, first in French, then in Flemish. This is because at that point, then you choose your teachers. I see. And it's two institutions in the same building, but it's two different institutions. That's, again, a Belgian situation. I see, I see. A, a Kafkaesque. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is where my hatred of capital letters comes in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then also, for me, it's always a push and pull uh, factor. Uh, I don't have much sympathy for Belgium as a as a as a country it doesn't exist it's something that was imposed fr from outside I see oh. so uh, so the borders of the country don't necessarily represent no, what the country we, is to you when we talk about the border uh, yeah it's not the border with France or with Germany or you name it is the language border I see the horizontal line that is the border and I'm born uh, 5 km from the border. Ah, okay. So it's Flemish territory, and then a bit further it becomes French. So, but I'm still of the generation who is very much bilingual, uh, because at, at that time the country was not a, yet uh, a federation of autonomous regions like now. So now it's possible to do a career in administration and not be bilingual. Until me included, uh, my parents, you had to be bilingual or you can't, or you can't function, you can't have a job. 
So times have changed, whether it's better or worse, I don't know. But for me, it's good because me and my brothers, we are perfectly bilingual. Oh, okay. Very interesting. It took me over a year to learn that French was not his first language. So uh, after several lunches together at the cafeteria, as what an American would say, the cafeteria, the, the French would say the cantine, right? La cantine. Bon Jovi with It's My Life. We are here at Parkour Ed talking about this, that, and the other thing, especially what songs have meant something to us as either students or teachers. What brings back memories? And Nicole, can you talk about this song that we've just listened to? Well, it makes me very emotional, so I'll try not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There's electronic equipment here. We don't want to cause, a, cause an electrical incident. <laughs> But um, yeah, that, that song just makes my heart sing. It just speaks to me. Um, so first of all, you know, it, it's the 80s. This is when we're all so emotional. And, um, and what do they call it these days, the young ones? E emo. Emo, <laughs> yes, getting emo. But um, it's memories of just belting out this song and, and dancing at all times of the night. But it's also my answer whenever um, anyone thinks that it's impossible, it's not what's done, um, you shouldn't do it that way. Uh, you know, it's it's my equivalent of Sinatra's. Um, I'll do it my way. I see. I see. Um, I love that. I love that lyric. It's now or never. Yeah. It's, it's it's my life. It's now or never. Um, it's also about you won't get a, you won't just get a break anymore. You have to do it. And uh, so it's it's very much you know decision big decisions in my life, like going to Argentina when I was 20 to start my career there or. Then going to Vietnam when everyone associated Vietnam with just the war. Uh -huh. um, even things like marrying an Argentinian uh, and just making such a, a wonderful life out of very odd decisions. <laughs> uh, all the different careers that I've had. And uh, it, it's also my reaction to, to kids when, when they're you know when they're unsure of themselves and it's just look this is your life I'm you know I appreciate that you come to me for advice but you're the one living it and uh, and you have to make what makes you know what what makes you vibrate do that oh well said thank you for sharing that with us you know music music is more than just notes and uh, melodies and harmonies and no one knows that better than uh, Robert Castile, one of our music teachers here at LFS. What do you think about that, Robert, about her connection to this song, about maybe a song that you have that you can think of? Uh, okay, I'm in a peculiar situation you are. because, <laughs> because uh, I did not grow up at all with popular music. I see. Not at all. I wasn't hearing this at home. I wasn't hearing this in school. And... Uh, the half-gods of my adolescence are called Stravinsky, Prokofiev, Bartok. And this is not to, to, to look or sound fancy. Right. To me, it's not. It's just the way it was. 
It, it also isola isolated me from the group. That's just a fact of life. Huh? Yeah, we when were, everyone was listening to uh, uh, Led Zeppelin and uh, you were listening to Stravinsky, there exactly. was, might have been me, a bit of a separation. And I remember on all these terminals, uh, we were like a three, four ter terminal, and we were four guys uh, who were in what's called as a misnomer classical music uh -huh. because none of these composers are classical. I see. But here and there, I, s I do have a song. So if you ask me, um, there is one because that song is Jacques Brel, Le Plat Pays. Ah. Uh, and this is because uh, after Brussels, I went to study in London at the Guildhall and in New York at the Juilliard. And I had a very hard time because my English wasn't very good and because the education system was completely different and because New York in the in the 80s was very tough and very aggressive. So at times I, I got... And Juilliard is a very tough school. Yeah, You have to survive on your own. Nobody cares. And then when you do orchestral conducting, you're also one in front of the groups and an orchestra, they can be very nasty. <laughs> so it was very tough. It's like, it's like the Marines. <laughs> uh, that kind it of sound, it sounds like sometimes uh, being a teacher when you're up in front of a whole group and they yes. can be nasty. Not at our school, obviously. Yeah. But uh, and so so when I was when I was moody and homesick, I was listening to uh, Le Plapi by Jacques Brel. Bonsoir, avec le vent d'ouest, écoutez le vouloir, le Plapi qui est le mien. Avec un ciel si bas qu'un canal s'est perdu, avec un ciel si bas qu'il fait l'humilité, avec un ciel si gris qu'un canal s'est pendu, avec un ciel si gris qu'il faut lui pardonner, avec le vent du nord qui vient s'écarteler, avec le vent du nord. Écoutez-le craquer Le plat pays Qui est le mien Avec De l'Italie Qui descendrait l'escaut Avec Frida la blonde Quand elle devient Margot Quand les fils de novembre Nous reviennent en mai Quand la plaine est fumante et tremble sous juillet, quand le vent est au rire. I came to popular music much later, uh, where I could sort of get get off my high grounds uh, and listen to it. And so, because but then nowadays I'm able to analyze and and I'm able to recognize. Gee, that is that is a great. Performer. Uh, he's, uh, he was meant a lot to a lot of people. Let's give a quick... Uh, no, not only Jacques Brel, but others. Yeah. Like, now I start to listen to Johnny Hallyday. He passed away last week. Yeah. And I say, gee, this guy sings in tune. Wow, the way, <laughs> the way he does this modulation. Wow, this is not just antics on, on the stage. Uh -huh. And so, but, but obviously, they, they don't build such a long career. Uh, uh, on, on being fake or being uh, just a, right, right. A, a, a whim. So there is solid, a métier solide. 
Well, I want to thank you guys for sharing your song choices. It's a personal thing, but uh, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. Welcome back to Parkour Ed. This is Colin Daly, and I have Robert Castiles and Nicole Komar with me, some wonderful teachers, some of my favorite people, and we're talking about education and what got us to be teachers here at LFS. Who's your favorite teacher at LFS? Oh, I don't have any because they're all great. Alright. Uh, Mrs. Meur, French teacher, because uh, she's great, she's always optimistic and in a good mood and it's just great. Miss uh, Abuel. She's really nice and like she knows when to be strict and she knows when to be nice and serious. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Vaccaro, because he's a, a nice person and he learns uh, me physics really well. Oh, Mr. Daly, because uh, he's right uh, in front of me. Here's, uh, Mr. Tauvin, he's uh, funny and... Uh, we learn a lot with him. Madame Neuf. It's, it's a French um, teacher. She's very great at teaching French, so I find it very interesting. Madame Montagne. She's very nice. It's uh, Mr. Olive's philosophy teacher. Uh, because he's uh, very interesting, uh, even though I'm not very good in philosophy, I like his, uh, his class. My favorite teacher is Miss Avoine because she's uh, very nice and I love her accents. It's uh, Miss McGowan because I think she's very fun to work with and she always has exciting ideas in class. Uh, my favorite teacher is Monsieur Lim because he teaches very well and he's very nice. My teacher is Madame Meur, French teacher because she makes me like French. Bon Mazon! Mr. Bon Mazon! Uh, he's so, so nice. funny! Yeah, he's nice. And we learned so much with him. Oh, yeah. Monsieur Bonne Maison. Yeah, Monsieur, Monsieur Bonne Maison. Because he's funny. He's, he's funny. He's so and he's, funny. And he's, he's very chill. So, he's yeah. Like, he grew like our brother last year. Yeah. Mr. Daly. Because he's such friendly and gives really good marks. Who is your favorite teacher at LFS? I don't think I have one. No. Uh, <laughs> my favorite teacher at LFS. I don't know. My favorite teacher in LFS is, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, every, every teacher is the favorite teacher of some kid. Um, and we're lucky to have two great teachers with us here today. Um, I'd just like to say that my favorite teacher is the French teacher I had in high school, Monsieur Rosen. And I've always wanted to be a teacher. But he's the guy who made me understand that I could be a teacher if I wanted to. Um, he was wacky, innovative, fun-loving, uh, but really the confidence that he gave me and myself is what made it possible for me to be here today, and I thank him immensely. Do either one of you have a favorite teacher that jumps to mind from your past? Well, I think we all have. Um, my favorite teacher unfortunately died a few years ago. His name was uh, Mr. Finn. He was my literature teacher in the SI section in uh, Grenoble. He was very strict. In fact, I met with a few students since, and uh, he would be their most hated teacher <laughs> because he was so strict. <laughs> but uh, he, was, uh, he definitely pushed us. And um, one of the reasons I admire him so much, he, he really changed my life. Uh, he, uh, during one of our meetings, he just sat me, said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, oh, I want to go to university abroad, something a lot of our students could recognize. And he said, really? Well, do you have a plan for that? I said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll start applying in Première. And he said, well, this is the thing, Nicole. 
teachers hate you. <laughs> and I said, what? Bru- nothing like brutal honesty. Says, but I have all these good grades. And he says, yeah, but you know, you need to be building a file and the teachers need to love you to give good appreciations. And you're impossible in class. You are so annoying. I said, right, okay. And I said, but that's my personality. I can't change that. And he said, of course you can. I've seen you on stage. I've seen you be an actress. Just act a good student. Just act someone who's actually likable in class. And uh, I did. The very next day I did that. And I thought, wow, (laughs) life becomes so much easier when you're a good student. it's, It's ironic. So many teachers out there teach us that we need to be ourselves. But he came out and said, don't be yourself. Act like the good student, and that that helped you, right? It, it but, really helped. But I think probably the honesty is is what you respected the most from the guy. Yeah, right? absolutely. And and yeah, I built a good resume. I was able to go to the LSE, and and it's true. I, I was horrible in class. I think he was probably, from what I what you just told me, he was probably keen enough to recognize that you already hear that too. Some of the things that we would like to say to some of our students, we know they're not ready to hear it yet, and. They eventually learn it one way or the other. But uh, how about you, Robert? Did you have a favorite? Favorite? Yes. I can I can picture a piano teacher with a wooden spoon. Is that? Uh, but okay, <laughs> a, a music being different. I was in a in a top, in the one of the two top institutions in Brussels, and there was zero music. So all the music was done in a specialized school after school. <laughs> but so in the general school, I remember in quatrième our the first uh, English teacher was an Englishman, which was already something extraordinarily odd f- to us. And he never spoke a word of French in the class. So he was very tough. He was very nice, uh, very, we would say, English, (laughs) (laughs) very polite, always very calm, but not a word in French. And uh, and we we really learned the hard way. uh, And then I had another teacher who was also teaching uh, uh, history and who was also teaching in in the university. And I had him three years in a row and I've never seen him open a book. He comes in and it's like he's telling a story. And he tells on and on and on, and we had to write down. And then when the bell gong goes, uh, then he said, La suite au prochain numéro. <laughs> it's like a story. <laughs> uh, and it was so lively and so, and so interesting. And yeah. it's so, so, so like, like some, of, some of the feedback of that we just heard. Yeah. So it's a mixture of people people who are highly knowledgeable in their uh, in their subject but also who are very at ease and very comfortable and have humor yeah humor is a big uh, humor a big is thing. very important now i you know having heard my own voice there uh, a student's response being because he's standing right in front of me and because he gives good grades those aren't necessarily two things that uh, <laughs> i want to be recognized for as a teacher but um I did get into teaching. I've always wanted to be a teacher because I've, I loved my teachers, and I guess I wanted to bring something to other people. Uh, but, but trying to be someone's favorite teacher is not something we do. We can't do that. That's just not going to be. It's not going to be successful. But, uh, my mother is a, was a primary teacher, yeah. and she chose her whole career to do P one. So one day when I was already an adult, I asked, but what, why you want to do P1? Because she could have gone to other grades. And yeah. at one point, she could have become the, the P2 
principal of the primary school. She says, because, because I had this, uh, somewhere this pride and maybe even orgueil that what they could do at the end of the year, I really taught them because when they arrived, they could not write. Ah. At that time, you arrive in P1 right. uh, and you can't yet write and count. Now I know already in kindergarten they start, but at that time it was really in P1. So, so my mother had a very strong, very strong uh, uh, sense of what it is to be a teacher. I suppose that has rubbed off. Well, that's amazing. And thank you both for sharing that with us. Uh, we're going to have to call it a day. Uh, I have to go and teach now. But I'd like to again thank Robert Castiles and Nicole Komar for coming in and sharing their experiences and talking about their parkour. You're welcome. Thank you. Call in. Thank you and come back anytime. See you next time. This has been Parkour Ed with Colin Daly, your host. Thank you to Robert Castiles and to Nicole Komar for joining us today. Tune in next time. If you have thoughts or feedback that you'd like to share with us, don't hesitate to send an email to Colin Daly. That is cdaily at lfs.edu.sg, c-d-a-i-l-e-y at lfs.edu.sg. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, and until next time, bye now. Bye.